The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. PFTOT Wednesday edition. We get a chance to talk about things we didn't address during the program. We also get a chance to expand on some of the concepts that may have been discussed during the two hours that Chris Sims and I were on TV together. And Chris, I want to start, and I think we talked about this during a break. We we spoke at length at the top of the 7 a.m. Eastern hour about the comments that were made by Baker Mayfield, the Browns quarterback, regarding Duke Johnson, basically get on the train or get out of town. And Freddie Kitchens talking about Gerald McCoy, the defensive tackle that chose the Carolina Panthers. Kitchens said, we want guys who want to be here. Now, again, with Duke Johnson, he doesn't want to be there. He wants to get off the train. They won't let him. But when I look at those comments, and yes, I'm always on the lookout for something that potentially could. No, not you. Are you sure you're on the lookout? What? Hey, I couldn't help it. It it, it pays well to have that approach. Trust me. I'm always on the lookout for something where we can peel the onion down to what they really may be saying. And I can't help but wonder with Odell Beckham Jr. absent for almost all of the offseason program, is Freddie Kitchens in a roundabout way? Whether he realizes it or not, is he kind of unconsciously or subconsciously sending a message to Odell Beckham Jr. Is Baker Mayfield sending a message to Odell Beckham Jr.? Look, at this point, it doesn't matter because the voluntary phase is over. It's not like he's going to show up for anything else. He'll be there for training camp. But just the attitude, the idea, you're either with us or you're not. And if you have that, look, at high school, they, they, you know, they have a three-week period here in West Virginia where it's voluntary workouts. And trust me, if you're not there, they blow up your phone all day long. They want you to be committed to the team. And we can hide behind this idea that it's voluntary. They want you to volunteer to be there. And they don't feel like you want to be part of the team if you're not choosing to be there. So I just can't help but wonder whether they realize it or not. There's some sort of just a little release valve there, a little frustration emanating from Kitchens and Mayfield over the fact that they haven't had the benefit of working with Odo Beckham Jr. And they wonder, does he really want to be part of that team? Uh, yeah, I mean, we know they want him there. I mean, as far as Odell Beckham Jr. there. And, and we know that bothers them. Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchens, they can say all they want. But, you know, those are two guys that love working. Baker Mayfield loves practicing. He's a great leader. I mean, gosh, the, what, the things he says, the way he handles himself in press conferences, it's like he's won six Super Bowls himself already, the way he, uh, he can kind of, you know, conduct the room and just be that guy there to where, yeah, I'm sure they're frustrated by Odell Beckham Jr. But I think I took more of the, the comments from Freddie Kitchens and and Baker Mayfield about Duke Johnson you know in my way in the way it sounded more I looked at it as more as like they were speaking out of like frustration like are we really sitting here talking about you know Duke Johnson demanding a trade you know a guy that's not even part of the top three or four options of our offense and we're doing that that's to me what it more looked like than anything where they were just annoyed and frustrated hey this has been a story already we get it and you know Freddie Kitchens is saying that's great he wants a trade but I don't give a damn he's staying 
in here because we don't have a third down running back. And I think that's where I feel like maybe the annoyance or a little bit of the edge of that uh, interview from both of those guys comes from. I don't take it from the OBJ thing. But I just think it's hard to make those comments without inviting it, speculation, right? Yeah, right? Sure. Because he's the one big name guy who just hasn't been there and hasn't wanted to be there. And if you if you want to be here, be here. If you want to be part of this, be part of it. Don't say, well, I've got my own special training regimen that, that will get me ready for the season. I, now, again, we talked yeah, about this last right. week. If you show up and you're awesome, it's all forgotten. That's, a, that's exactly right. And I really think that is the big thing at the end of the day. And I've, I've wondered this. And again, I don't know this, but, you know, also, you know, maybe Odell Beckham Jr. Junior didn't feel like he was totally hitting on all cylinders and 100% through the OTAs, and he's been dealing with some dings and things like that in his body to where, you know, he wanted to make sure when I show up, I want to show everybody, like, hey, this is why they traded for me. This is why I'm Odell Beckham Jr. And maybe he didn't feel like he was at that point early on in OTAs, and he's, you know, maybe protecting his mystique that way. I mean, players are that way where they don't want you to see them. They only want you to see them at their best and, and always have that in their brain those are just other angles that I've uh, thought about with the with the Odell situation in particular all right yesterday the Arizona Cardinals dropped a tweet right around lunchtime I was out running errands and I saw and and my, my car was stopped I do not check my phone while I drive Chris Sims you'll be happy to know Thank that you very, very, very strong way to go but while my car was in park I checked and I saw that the Arizona Cardinals tweeted, so we have some news. And I became very intrigued by that. And I was paying attention as I made my various stops. I would check my phone again, go to the bank, check the phone, go to the pharmacy, check the phone, go to the dry cleaners, check the phone, go pick up lunch, check the phone, waiting for the Cardinals to tell us what the news was. And the news ultimately was this. Carson Palmer is joining the team's ring of honor. And my position is, and again, this is not intended to be an insult to Carson Palmer. It may be. But this isn't news you tease, right? This, oh, we have a big announcement coming. Stay tuned for further information that we are about to share with you. It's not teasable. Just announce it. Nobody else teases that they're going to put somebody in the ring of honor. They just say that they're in the ring of honor. So it created all sorts of unnecessary buzz and speculation that the Cardinals were up to something that was tease-worthy. This isn't tease-worthy. That's my little rant for the day. We didn't do airing of grievances today. That's yeah. my grievance on a Wednesday. But here's my other grievance. Yeah. How are the Cardinals? The Cardinals have been around, Chris, since 1900, right? I mean, they, they went by a different name. But they are the oldest team in the NFL, also one of the least successful franchises in league history. They were founded in 1898, and they've won two championships in the NFL, 1925 and 1947. They have three quarterbacks in their ring of honor, including Carson Palmer, Jim Hart, Kurt Warner, and Palmer. Now, I, there may be other guys that we could say are deserving, but it's amazing to me that your team has been that bad for that many years that you have so few quarterbacks that have even bubbled up to the point where they make it to that immortality the team hands out to select members of the franchise. It, it, it is amazing, and I think ultimately that's why we're seeing Carson Palmer in it. Not to take anything away from Carson Palmer. He had a phenomenal career, but – 
you know, would I have sat here and, you know, with most organizations gone, oh, man, yeah, this Carson Palmer, what he's done here for uh, this organization, oh, he's definitely getting the ring of honor. No, I think it fits because there is lack of history and lack of greatness with the Arizona Cardinals in general. And they're trying to create more history with name guys that did have success within the organization. And because there's not a lot of them, yeah, it's, you know, they, they're guys like Carson Palmer get thrusted into there. You know, even though that they might not have the same credentials, what it takes to get into the ring of honor for the Green Bay Packers or some other teams in football, like I'm saying. But to, to what you said earlier, too, I mean, yeah, I think that we got a big announcement. That was a little misleading. I certainly was thinking something a little bigger along those lines. Other thing that just pops into my head, you know, and this is to me where, you know, Neil Lomax, if, if Carson Palmer is in, the, is in the ring of honor for the Cardinals, Neil Lomax deserves to be too. See, what this looks like to me is if you were the quarterback of a team that was winning, you can get in. But if you were a really good quarterback in the 80s, early 90s, and did a lot of good things for our franchise, but our team didn't win, you don't get in. And Neil Lomax, I mean, yeah, those Cardinals teams he played for from 81 to 88 weren't all that great. I understand that, but he's still 22,000 yards career pass for the Cardinals you know uh what what is it 136 touchdowns uh, so he's one of the better quarterbacks in the history of the sport too where I want to go well just because he didn't get to the NFC championship game like Carson Palmer doesn't put him in the ring of honor he should be there well and and look Carson Palmer is fourth all time on the passing list for uh yardage for the Cardinals, yeah, two of the guys in front of him aren't in the Ring of Honor. You mentioned Lomax, the other one, Jake Plummer. Oh, there you right, Jake. Jake right? Plummer has has eighty two starts for the Cardinals. Palmer had sixty, and Lomax had one hundred and one. Yeah. So I look. Th- there's a reason why the Cardinals have just kind of been the Cardinals over the years, and you know they they have had some moments, and I feel like at times they're figuring out how to compete. At a, at a relevant level in the NFL. But, I mean, th- this is a long history of just not good quarterback play. And there aren't many guys we could name that should be in. Lomax and Plummer are pretty much it. They've yeah. had a lot of guys. Now, Patty Driscoll was a quarterback back in the 1920s, and I think he's in their ring of honor as well. So maybe we can say there's four, but his numbers, obviously, from the early 20s before the forward pass probably I don't aren't, uh, uh, aren't yes, going to be is. good enough. He's in there. He, he yeah. is in there, just so you know. I'm, I got the list in front of me right now. And here's the other thing, too. You know, we talk about Carson Palmer being the quarterback for five years. I don't think there's ever been a coach of the franchise for more than six. Wow. I think Jim Hannafin and Ken Wisenhunt are tied at six. I may, and maybe Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians didn't do six. He did five. So that it's been a revolving door at coach and not a great effort at quarterback and it's one of the reasons why the Cardinals have been so bad most people don't realize though that the Cardinals are the oldest team in the NFL there's all this pomp and circumstance about the Packers and the Bears Cardinals been around longer than either of them all right next topic on this Wednesday edition of PFTOT see that's how I buy time when I don't know what's next you you slow down and you you have filler words like next topic on this Wednesday edition of PFTOT we talked about this during the show and you were making an excellent point for a change as we were getting ready to go to break you like how I threw that in there? Thank you. The idea that if you're going to pay guys more money for 18 games, and here's what we're going to have if we get to 18 games, you're going to have guys under contract that are premised on 16 games. And and the easiest math here, $1.6 million. I got a contract for next year. It's $1.6 million for 16 games, and now they've moved it to 18 games. What do I do? 
do you just pay the guy 1.8 million? No. Your point is yeah. there's 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 a premium for those extra games. Yes, a hundred percent a premium for these extra games. First of all, you know I don't know the numbers, but I'd like to look it up. I mean, you know, as you get towards the end of the season, what is the injury rate? What's two more extra games added on to sixteen? Man, a lot of guys are are struggling to get out of the bed in the morning in the middle of the week when it comes to week fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Now you're going to get to week seventeen and eighteen. So yeah, my thing is like you're saying, if it, you're making one point six for sixteen games you shouldn't I don't think it should be just 1.8 for 18 games I think that you have to take into the totality of the wear and tear for the player and almost count those two extra games as maybe four extra games so now it goes from 1.6 to 2 million or maybe even more than that because you're of course increasing the uh, percentage of injury risk with two extra games at the end of the season when you're already physically beaten down and hurting and trying to get through the week as is so the re the the risk is greater there. Also, you're going to cut into guys' careers. I mean, hey, eight years of eight years of 18 games is really like nine years of 16 games. You like how I did that math there? So that's an extra year to guys' careers too. So they're going to have to make sure they more than compensate the players for two extra games. I, I don't know if it's you know two for the price of one, three for the price of one, whatever it may be. Demora Smith's got to figure that out. But I think that is definitely uh, uh, one of my thoughts for being fair there. Well, and one of the concerns, too, apart from how you adjust an existing contract, the extra salary cap money that flows from playing those extra games, one of the concerns that Eric Winston, the NFLPA president, has articulated is that that bump in the salary cap is going to go to the star players anyway. You're going to see the best players get even more, and the the, the run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-pack guys, they're still going to get what they get. See, there's no guarantee yeah. that the extra money that generally flows into the coffers that can be shared by the players is going to go across the board. And and that's a fair concern as well. Yeah. So I, I don't know how you account for that. I don't know how you fix it. But it isn't as easy as going 1.6 to 1.8 million if that's what you're due to make on a contract that was negotiated before the league went to 18 games. I do agree with you, Chris. There needs to be a premium paid. All right. The Seahawks have paid quite the premium to Russell Wilson, $35 million per year in new money on the contract that he signed earlier this offseason. But despite all that and this perception that, hey, if you're going to pay the guy, you got to use him. you got to have him throw the ball. Brian Schottenheimer, the team's offensive coordinator, says the Seahawks are still a running team. How do we reconcile that? with giving Russell Wilson so much money, Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, first of all, it's not always easy playing quarterback when a team is a running team. You know, a lot of the times it can be harder. You're put in tougher situations. You never get to get in a rhythm or a flow of the game, right? So you still are earning your money that way. You know, think about it. This is where I defend sometimes guys like Joe Flacco, another quarter, Troy Aikman, where we all go, oh, the stats aren't that great. Yes, but it's not always easy when the run game's not working and you're a run team and it's, oh, okay, first down run, oh, Okay, it's second and nine. Second down run. Oh, we got two more yards. Oh, it's third and seven. Hey, Troy, we know you haven't thrown the ball in a while. Or Russell, you haven't thrown the ball in a few plays. But now we need you to make a big-time play.
time play here. You know, it's like Seth Curry going, okay, I haven't got to shoot a three-pointer in like three quarters, and now you guys want me to come in the fourth and just bombs away and be on my A game. That's extremely hard to do as a quarterback. I think that aspect gets lost sometimes with the running game conversation. But the Seahawks are a running team. You know, that's what they've gone to. That's why they, you know, fired Tom Cable. Uh, that's why they hired Brian Schottenheimer because his, his bread and butter is run game schematics. And I think that was a big part of the turnaround for the Seahawks offensive line last year. And it helped Russell Wilson not take as many hits. They, hits, they were a little bit better in pass protection. And, of course, we know Pete Carroll wants to play that style of football, Mike. They want to run the ball, play through the defense, and then Wilson just to make his handful of plays every game to get them over the edge. And, yes, you're right. It's a lot of money they're paying them. But it's not always easy to play that way is what I'm trying to say. That is a whole lot of money to pay for a handful of That's plays, right. right? This is top yep. of the market, highest paid mm -hmm. player in NFL history. And I don't know, maybe they're just trying to make people think that they're a running team, right? There's a lot of that that, go, that goes on. We want you to believe one thing. We want you to prepare for us the first sure. couple of the weeks of the season, like we're going to be a certain way. And now we're going to come out and we're going to spread it out. We're going to throw it all over the place that, you know, that that's happened in the past as well. Definitely. All right. Ted Ginn uh, is at it again. Not that long ago, he was on your old tag team partner, Adam Lefko's podcast, vowing to bet anyone $10,000 in a pole-to-pole -pole race. Now, there were some people who tried to take him up on it. Travis Benjamin of the Chargers tried to take him up on it. Crickets in response. But Ginn vows and declares that he's the fastest man in the NFL. Now, this guy's midway into his 30s. I don't know why. You know, and I'm a firm believer, Chris, and you can, you can attest to this. You have to be confident. You have to be supremely confident Definitely. to thrive in the NFL. You almost have to be confident to the point of delusional. And I think Ted Ginn has willingly stepped over the line into delusion here if he thinks he's the fastest guy in the NFL in his mid-30s. No, yeah, you're right. Lots of great players are delusional. I mean, they really are. Great quarterbacks who, you know, had great careers who think they're still great in year 16. And I want to go, no, you're crap. You're crap. I don't care what you were the first 12 years. You're not good anymore. You know, Colby Bryant is last year. Oh, you know, ESPN, I think, ranked him as the 37th best basketball player in and basketball, oh, that's crazy. I'm not the. Th I'm better than that. No, they were nice to you to give 37. That's why you're out of the league the next year. It was over. You weren't 37. But that's part of what makes great players great is they always do have that confidence. And he's insane to think that he's the fastest guy in the NFL at this point. He's not. You know, first off, if Tyree Kill, for counting him, that's no contest. That's not even close. But we can go down the list. I think farther than that, even at the wide receiver position, running back position, there's a few DBs out there that. I think would get him at this point of his career. Now, hey, listen, I just say this. Ted Ginn in his prime first three, four, five years out of Ohio State, I would go, hmm, I, I kind of believe him. I think he could stay with anybody in the league, but I'm not buying it in the, in, in the early 30s like you said. And remember, the 40 yards of gold that bracket-style 40-yard dash challenge is scheduled for June the 29th. I'm still skeptical that it's actually going to happen. I just don't think NFL coaches are going to give the green light to their players to go out and risk tearing a hamstring while they're unnecessarily sprinting 40 yards. But Ginn is going to be part of that, so he gets a chance to. Maybe he's just hyping. Maybe that's all this is. Yeah, maybe maybe he's got a piece of the action. Maybe he owns the 40 yards of gold. But uh, it is still due to happen. Uh, June 29th. And it is going to be 40 yards, Mike. It's not going to be pole to pole, which I would imagine is 100 meters. 
Uh, I, where, I, if it's called 40 yards of gold, I assume uh, yes. that the distance of the race is 40 yards. Thank that would you. be quite a dramatic turn <laughs> if it wasn't a 40-yard dash. <laughs> You're right. Sorry. Maybe I, it's 40 yards of gold and 60 yards of silver. Yeah, Maybe that's, that's right. how they yeah, do it. Yeah, right. It's something like that. I like his chances, I feel like, more in the 100-meter race than I do in the 40 uh, because he's one of those guys when he opens up and the stride gets long, man, he can cover a lot of ground. But I don't know if he's necessarily as good as, let's say, a Travis Benjamin at getting out of the blocks and getting to that top speed in the first 10 to 20 yards. That's where uh, I would challenge a, a guy like Ted Ginn. And, and, and here's where it gets very interesting, the idea that two guys are going to be racing against each other from time to time during that week that the scouting combine takes over the NFL's focus, someone will suggest having guys run the 40 in tandem to have that element, that competitive element directly there instead of just competing against the clock. Would a guy actually be faster if he had someone running against him? So that's what we'll see if this thing happens on June 29. Again, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, 40 yards of gold. I don't think it's going to happen. And I think at a minimum, some of the guys who have committed to doing it aren't going to be there because their coaches are going to say, no, you're not doing that. All right, here's what we're doing. We're calling it. That's it. Wednesday edition over. Chris Sims will reconvene on Thursday. I'm going to be in Boston. You're home away from home. It's my second favorite city as well. I'll be up there for a couple of days. We'll see you from there. And uh, we'll see you throughout the day on profootballtalk.com. Everybody have a great Wednesday. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.